the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. 
In studio with me is my wife, Alexandra. Welcome. We're excited to be on the air today. We want to continue sharing with you the story of revival in Argentina. I wish I were coming today to share with you the story of revival in America. But that's not happening. We are being withstood on every hand by demonic powers as they influence the hearts of men and women and cause them to be totally immersed in what is called in Revelation the Laodicea Church. Blind, naked, miserable, but not knowing it. How do you tell someone they're blind and naked and miserable and wretched when they think they're just fine? That's what we're facing. So we're being withstood on every hand by the powers of darkness. We want to share with you the story of revival in Argentina because the powers of darkness were defeated. They were pushed back. And the power of God flowed with incredible manifestations of glory. We want to see this in Washington, D.C. We're doing everything in our power to promote revival. But it is very, very hard going. Last night we had a wonderful meeting with 13 or 14 people in a sanctuary that seats 400. It was stunningly empty. And the church in which it was held, only the pastor was there. There was not one person from that whole congregation who cared enough to come. We're in deep trouble. Alexandra and I are in deep trouble. Revival in a land that has no interest in revival except as so, some romantic notion. Well, for us, it is not a romantic notion. It is literally what must happen if God's people are to enter into the kingdom of heaven. There is no choice but revival which is a, a much deeper level of obedience and commitment to Jesus. Did you want to say something? I wouldn't say it's a deeper level. It is a new, it is a new beginning. So a new level. No, it's that you don't actually have a level right now. You may say you have a level of obedience, but you don't. So it's actually beginning to obey God completely in all things. And that's manifested by a, a love of the world like Super Bowl Sunday captured the attention and now Tuesday there will be Fat Tuesday so revival was sandwiched in between one day the church celebrating the pagan Super Sunday and then Fat Tuesday and we're surprised that nobody shows I'm not this is the condition of the church in America has to change. So we're going to share the story today of revival as it was told by Dr. Edward Miller. First, we shared the book 
Thy God Reigneth. Now we're working out of a book called The The Flaming Flame, the story of continued revival in Argentina. We want this to be the story of continual revival in America. Let's pray. Oh Lord, if you don't bring revival, this nation will perish. It is our only hope, a return to godliness, a turning aside from the things of the world, the flesh and the devil. Getting serious with you, Jesus, and being filled with your love and your zeal, walking in obedience to you humbly. Lord, there has to be a change. I've been crying out to you, where is the God of Elijah? Lord, do not turn us away, but come in power for America. Bless this time we share together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, we left the story yesterday of the Argentine revival. They had just finished an 11-day Nicochea healing and evangelistic campaign. What was the concrete result of that campaign? Well, a church was born in a day. Literally, at the end of the 11 days, there was a church. They then began building their own large church building and parsonage, and they had a national pastor and his family who began to help them and serve them. And they began evangelizing the other towns in the close region. A religious group which didn't believe in the power of God to heal attempted to start a new church in the same town by holding a tent campaign shortly after our meeting had closed. Visiting from door to door, they chanced upon a new convert and invited him to their meetings. Overjoyed, he replied, I just love these healing services. No, no, you don't understand, countered the visitor. God does not heal nowadays. He only worked miracles before when he was down here on the earth in person. Inviting the visitor to step into the house, the new convert replied, You've come to the wrong house, mister. You see this little room? Here my wife was a virtual prisoner smoking her special cigarette to get some measure of relief from chronic asthma. Although she had the best medical care, nothing helped her. Then through the stadium services, God healed her. Before I had varicose veins, they all disappeared. My little girl suffered from a hernia. She also is completely well. I'm afraid you've come too late to tell me that God can't heal today, for he's already done it. With that, the visitor hastily excused himself and went quietly away. They had learned that Christ was their deliverer from the power of the enemy. They did not want another gospel, a gospel powerless to help them. It just didn't seem attractive to them. 
Now, at the end of the 11-day campaign, we had the answers to all of our questions. The 1954 healing wave was but a beginning, not an end. God had not withdrawn his healing wave because it had not been rejected. We could expect God to move in other towns as he had in Buenos Aires. And our greatest unanswered question had also been answered. Deliverance and revival fire would continue to burn in Argentina. You'll never have a successful evangelistic campaign in Liberia. Why, after many years of struggle and sacrifice, we have less than a dozen members in our little gospel chapel. And furthermore, it's just impossible to make converts here, exclaimed the elderly missionary ladies. The town of Liberia, the spiritist center of this whole area, is hard, impenetrable, and unreceptive to the gospel. No evangelical has ever prospered here, and you won't either. Years of sacrificial toil to establish a meager gospel toehold had convinced the two elderly missionary ladies that the town of Liberia was too difficult even for God. Discouraged and defeated, they were just holding on until their Heavenly Father called them home. In obedience to God's leading, a national worker and I had gone to Liberia in mid-February of 1955, planning to hold a gospel meeting in the small outdoor patio of a believer's home. With that in mind, we'd gone to visit the missionaries to seek their cooperation. As they continued talking, a word began to resound within. Impossible? Impossible in Liberia? Impossible for God? Was anything too difficult for him? Their faithless words of discouragement, defeat, and negativism kindled a holy fire within me. It seemed that I could hear an antagonist blatantly and brazenly defying the living God as Goliath had defied the armies of Israel. Was anything impossible with God? Suddenly, God's plan was clear. The missionary's gloomy defeatism had crystallized a resolution in my mind. We'll rent the largest building in town and have a successful evangelistic campaign in Liberia if it means mortgaging everything we have. Expressing the decision audibly triggered another torrent of incredulity. You're thinking of renting a large hall for a gospel campaign? Impossible! The Teatro Español is the only large building in town and their charge is excessive. You couldn't rent it anyway because it's continually in use. But the more they talked, the stronger my determination became. You'll need police permission, which they'll never give you. And even if you did announce a gospel meeting, no one would attend. So it's futile to even try. And with that conclusion, the pessimism ceased. With an ardent determination to tear down impossibility wall, stone by stone, and with an assurance that God has sent us to Liberia, my companion and I left the missionary home to go directly to the large theater, which couldn't possibly be rented. When we told the theater manager that we wanted to rent the theater, he bluntly answered, No, you don't rent it. Scrutinizing us carefully as he smoked a big cigar, he added, on second thought, When would you want it? When we told him the dates God had given us, he commented, 
Oh, it's going to be free then, for we're going to be repairing our machines. The rental price that he quoted was just what the elderly missionary lady had told us, an exorbitant amount, well out of reach of our possibilities. Finally, the manager got around to asking the most crucial question of all, and what do you want to rent it for? Then it was our turn to be anxious. Surely, when he knew why we wanted it, he would be even less willing to rent it to us. But even so, we explained as carefully and completely as we could what a healing deliverance campaign was, and its purpose. A healing campaign? He answered, startled. Oh, I believe in that. We listened amazed as he told us his story. Some years ago, I was seriously ill with an incurable respiratory affliction. Doctors gave me no hope of recovery. One afternoon, as I was returning from purchasing medicine at the drugstore, I slumped down on the sidewalk against a wall, suffering too greatly to go any further. An article I had read some months before in Reader's Digest suddenly flashed before me. The story of how God had done a supernatural something for somebody. The thought came to me, if God did that for him, can't he do something for me too? I cried out to him for help, and he heard me. I stood up completely well, and the trouble has never returned. Of course you can have the theater for a healing campaign, he concluded casually. You may have it for the full week, for the price of one night's rental. Jubilantly, we left the theater, pondering the mystery of a god who many months before had removed the first stone obstacle in the pathway to an evangelistic healing campaign when he healed an irreligious, unrighteous man of the world. The commanding rock fortress which enclosed the invulnerable Liberia was too high to go over, too deep to burrow under and impossible to go around. It just had to come down. Legions of demonic forces guarded the wall through their cooperative spiritist churches. Liberia's fortress reminded us of the centuries-old Inca stone wall that we had seen in Peru. Massive stones painstakingly chiseled and ingeniously designed to fit together into specific places on the wall without the benefit of adhesives or mortar. From a wall so strong that even violent earthquakes could not ravage it. With tenacious invincibility, Liberia's granite fortress was determined to withstand. Lodging seemed impossible to find. A heathenish carnival with all of its all-night dances and grotesque parades and spirit of hilarious merrymaking was scheduled the same week as our campaign. The national workers who had promised to minister with us in Liberia excused themselves at the last minute and left us alone. The enemy, as a roaring lion, slipped in to attack one of our children. Liberians showed no interest whatsoever. Fiery darts of doubt assailed us. Had we been fools to accept such a challenge alone? Had God really directed us to go to Liberia at that time? Had we been wise to rent such a large building when we had no promise of a congregation? 
I want to stop a minute. We've gone to a church, the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, and we're being totally withstood. And all the doubts rise up. What should we do? Should we go somewhere else? No. If we go somewhere else, the same powers of darkness from Washington, D.C. will withstand us there as well, even as they withstand us on this radio broadcast. Small handful of people from radio were there last night. I'm very grateful. But there should have been hundreds. We're being withstood on the radio. We're being withstood at the All Saints Anglican Church. We're being withstood as a national prayer chapel. Lies. All kinds of things. We're standing. We're not moving. We're looking to Jesus knowing that only he can break the impasse and begin to call his people. The police, in this case in Argentina, withheld permission. They adamantly refused to grant us the necessary permission to hold the services. So I said, and what would you do if I should go ahead and start the services without your permission? And the policeman replied, I'll come down with my gun and I'll arrest you. My answer to this was, well, come on down then and arrest me, for I'm going to start the services in the theater tonight at 8 o'clock. On the huge theater platform, which was large enough to accommodate a 200-voice choir, my wife, Eleanor, and I stood alone. Her task was to play the accordion, mine to do the preaching. It seemed as though all hell's legions were mocking and laughing at us, their raucous voices resounding in the almost empty auditorium. The first night, only three people came. Of all of Liberia's population of 20,000 plus, they were the only ones curious enough to venture into the theater to see what was going on. They looked ludicrous in their aloneness in this huge auditorium. The second night wasn't much better. Only eight came. The third night showed only a slight increase in attendance. Quite obviously, nothing had happened. By the fourth day, we were desperate. So we fled away to him in the secret place. But Lord, we said, you promised and you sent us here. You even told us when to come. Pleading for his intervention and reminding him of his faithfulness and fulfilling his promises, we got up from our knees feeling that he had heard. With renewed faith, we returned the fourth night's service. And that night, 64 people came. The stones of impossibility wall, stubbornly resisting, began to yield only as we insistently
pushed against them by importunate prayer and faith. The difficult-to-find boarding house room had been secured. The Spirit of the Lord raised up a standard against the enemy and delivered our defenseless child from the mouth of the lion. And the policeman who had threatened to arrest me never showed up. But another huge boulder still remained. Would it be possible to make converts to Jesus Christ in the spiritist-held fortress of Liberia during devilish carnival week? Unbeknown to us, the Lord had already been working on the very first night when one of the three who attended the service took an anointed handkerchief to a hospital. This lady was doing night nurse duty, caring for a dying man. He was being kept alive by intravenous feedings because he had been unable to eat anything for two months. For eight days, he had been unable to even swallow water. The nurse placed the anointed handkerchief on his chest. Several hours later, the man called for a glass of water and drank it all down. The next morning, he coughed up two large cysts that had been obstructing his throat and he was able to eat again. Also unknown to us, the Lord had been working on the second night when a prayer cloth was taken by one of the second-nighters to a paralyzed man confined to a wheelchair. The news of his healing began to spread throughout the city. A young Muslim who came to the front of the auditorium one night said, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in Muhammad. After talking with him for a few minutes, I challenged you say that you believe in the power of Muhammad? All right then, you come and pray for the sick in the name of Muhammad, and I will pray for them in the name of Jesus Christ, and then we shall see whose prophet heals. The next night, the youth returned, not to pray for the sick in the name of his prophet, but to request prayer for himself and his family in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of Righteousness had promised to arise and push back the death and deep darkness of Liberia, and nothing could hold him back. He came just as he had promised. No spiritist fortress, no matter how massive, was strong enough to hinder his coming, and his triumphant coming penetrated Liberia's impenetrable and unyielding citadel as his spirit blew upon the impossibility wall and it came tumbling down without further resistance. One Liberian told another that God was healing in the theater, and almost overnight the building was filled. God graciously bound up the brokenhearted, proclaimed liberty to the captives, opened the prisons of them that were bound, released the demon-possessed, and healed the sick. Liberians knew of a surety that God had come to them. Let's stop just a minute. I see in Washington, D.C., and I have ministered in this city for many years. I was assigned to this city by the Holy Spirit when I was in uh, high school, a senior in high school. I came in obedience to Washington. I have done street preaching in Georgetown. I've done all kinds of street ministry. I've done school tutoring. I've pastored churches all here in Washington. I've operated a coffee house and a free medical clinic 
on M Street in Georgetown called The Gate. I have seen year after year as the church is withstood. I sat with Billy Graham, speaking with him personally, not knowing him, but having an opportunity to sit one-on-one and speak with him. And I said to him, Pastor Graham, when are you going to come and bring an evangelistic series to Washington, D.C.? His answer was stunning. He said, Ray, I can't bring meetings to Washington because it requires the cooperation of all of the churches together. I can't get enough pastors to cooperate with me in a meeting to be able to hold it in this city. And so Billy Graham did not come to Washington, D.C. to hold a meeting. He went to many other cities, but not to Washington. I've seen great men of God come to Washington, a million-man march. I've seen all kinds of things happen in this city, but everything has been withstood by the powers of darkness. Now, I'm going to go on record because Satan rules the airwaves. I'm going to go on record as a Christian man of God. Revival is coming to Washington, D.C., and the powers of darkness are not going to be able to withstand us. The Holy Spirit will break through in this city. You have to decide if you want to be a part of that breakthrough by your prayers, by your attendance, by your support financially? Do you want to be a part of breaking this impenetrable wall? I want to read for you what we received this morning at 9 o'clock. A dear brother sent me this text. It's a rather long one, but let me read it for you. I'm praying against Satan's schemes that are at work in the church. Luke 11, 17 to 23. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. Though this verse is in reference to Satan's kingdom, it now applies to the church. The body of Christ is divided against itself by allowing Satan in. It will fall unless we pray for the Lord to cast out the demons and attack and overpower the strongholds now at work within the churches. But but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, He takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. The Lord Jesus is the stronger force. My hope is you will exhort your listeners to pray against these strongholds within the body of Christ to ask for the Holy Spirit to come to us and cast out the demons that are deceiving the church 
such that sin remains within it and divides and weakens the saints. If the saints rise up and pray against these demonic influences within the church, they will depart. That was from a radio listener sent me that text this morning at 9. So here we stand. We have a city like Liberia, except much stronger demonic powers who are determined to cause the churches to walk in sin and foolishness and vanity, who have weakened the body of Christ to such a degree with seductions and with darkness that the churches have no power. They are now primarily event centers, events on Sunday, events during the week, concerts, but no crying out for the lost and no straight preaching of the word. So here we face the darkness. Jesus is calling for us to pray, to cry aloud, only Jesus, working through his people, can break this wall. It took this pastor and his wife being willing to go stand on that stage alone in full faith. And then the power of God could come and break through. Will you stand at the wall? For a breakthrough and revival, doing whatever it takes for that to be accomplished. And I wonder if any of you would like to call. Our number is 877-534-0780. That's 877-534-0780. Please feel free to call as we continue reading. The Muslim youth and his family testified of healing. A widow was healed of a tumor. A relative of the theater manager came requesting prayer because she was unable to have children. God healed her, and in two time she had two lovely babies. Another wife, considered demented by all who knew her, was healed. Others were released from deep manias, fears, and depression. A policeman who had studied Red Cross nursing came to the theater with an abscess in his lungs, which was destroying the flesh, making the cavity visible from the outside. When he came to the theater, he sat in the back row, for he considered himself too great a sinner to come forward for prayer. One night during the service, all his sins came before him like a flood, and he cried out to God right where he was. Immediately, the abscess ceased advancing. When he went to the doctor later on to request an operation to close the wound, the doctor told him it wouldn't be necessary. The abscess is no longer advancing and will give you no more trouble. Return home in peace and live all the days that your God allots you. There's nothing more you need us to do for you. And with that, the doctor sent the man on his way, rejoicing. The spiritist emissaries, who for so many years had held dominion over Liberia, were discomfited and fled 
in disorderly array. Finding it difficult to call up their spirits, they eventually disbanded and withdrew from Liberia. Only a tiny token force remained. The last gigantic boulder had been moved out of its place. The successful campaign proved that it was possible to make converts to Jesus Christ in spiritist-held Liberia during hellish Carnival Week. With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. A disappointing defeat, as inclusive as the triumphant victory, followed hard on the heels of the miraculous overcoming of Liberia's stone fortress. The young national worker who had promised to pasture the new lambs after the campaign withdrew from the responsibility almost as soon as he had accepted it, and there was no one to replace him. Burdened with the care of the infant church at Nekachia and already committed to the building of a Bible institute in Mar del Plata, we found it impossible to continue on. When we were forced to abandon Liberia, agonizing questions tormented us. Had we been wise to bring the lambs to birth, and then to leave them to languish alone in the mountains? Had the Liberia campaign, after all, been such a titanic triumph? What would happen to the new little lambs in our absence? We committed them all to him, whose they were, and withdrew from Liberia with heavy hearts and many unanswered questions. Almost two years later, Polish-born Leo the pastor of the Nekochia congregation began to feel a heavy burden for the scattered lambs in Liberia. Already busy full-time with the heavy responsibilities of pastoring and building the large church building in Nekochia, he felt an urgency from the Lord to travel regularly to Liberia, some miles away. When he contacted those who had heard the gospel in the Teatro Espanol two years before, he found indifference, derision, and even pessimism. Many testified to having been healed, but they seemed unwilling to attend further evangelical services. Had they not been healed? Wasn't that sufficient? They no longer suffered. What more did they need? And no one seemed to know where Pastor Leo could obtain a hall for gospel services, and no one cared enough to help him search for one. For three months, he walked the streets every Monday and Saturday, praying and visiting, but still there was no response. Apparently, he accomplished nothing, for no doors opened before him. Had the victory won two years before been altogether in vain? Had the spiritist forces recovered after the routing and returned to occupy the land? Would the battle of faith and prayer have to be fought all over again? At times, discouragement almost persuaded him to abandon Liberia, but he knew that the Lord had given him a burden for that town, and he must not be swift to relinquish it. Yet, he could not, yet could he afford to spend so much time on a seemingly unproductive effort when there was so much to be done in Nekochia? The adamantine fortress of Liberia once again stood immovable. As Pastor Leo was walking up and down the streets one Monday morning, praying and seeking the Lord, faith suddenly came into his heart, a living faith that God would do something. He jumped up and down and praised the Lord in a loud voice right there in the street, unconcerned as to who might be listening or what they might think. 
Now he knew without a doubt that God had heard his prayers, and the devil's chains had been broken. Victory would come again to Loberia. And one day shortly afterwards, a couple who lived in a little hamlet several miles from town offered the use of their small, unpretentious home in the country for Saturday gospel services. The wife had been healed in the Nicotia campaign several years before, and in gratitude for what God had done, she and her husband offered their small home. The door to impenetrable Liberia had again opened just a crack. Pastor Leo didn't anticipate too much success in this hamlet because of its distance from town. Transportation was a problem because few people owned vehicles and taxis were expensive. Yet not desiring to offend the couple, the pastor accepted their offer, planning to hold but two or three Saturday services while they continued to search for a larger and more centrally located hall in town. But God had other plans. One Saturday afternoon in January 1957, the first healing evangelistic service was held on the outskirts of Liberia. The small congregation was composed of the rancher, his wife, their children, and a few neighbors, one of whom was a Spanish lady who had suffered for 40 years from a deafness caused by eczema after prayer for the Spanish neighbor. The service ended. The next Saturday afternoon, the congregation was somewhat larger, 15 in all. With difficulty, the pastor managed to keep the Spanish lady quiet. God had completely healed her, and she was jubilantly insisting on consuming the lion's share of the meeting to give her testimony. An influential businessman came to the services to request prayer for his incurable case of eczema. So great was the pain and discomfort that he had contemplated suicide as the only way of relief. The eczema had cut deep gashes in his dry skin, and when he stood up, the liquid formed by the eczema ran down his arms and legs. Doctors couldn't seem to discover what caused it. After God had graciously healed him in answer to prayer, he went all over town boasting, I surely did put one over on those evangelicals. They thought that I was going to follow their God when he healed me, but I have no intention of following him at all. I just wanted to get healed. You got healed? queried the townspeople. Where? Little did they care whether the businessman returned to the services or not. Their only concern was to find out as quickly as possible where the healings were taking place so they could go and receive healing for themselves. The businessman's negative testimony served as excellent advertising. Many who came as a direct result of his put one over on the evangelical's testimony Many were healed and remained on as faithful believers. Methinks the one who is sitting triumphantly in the heavens was laughing. Each Saturday afternoon, 
The attendance continued to increase until the small room was full. Leo had no time to seek a larger hall because he was too busy ministering the word and praying for the sick. Soon there were nearly 50 coming to the services, and they no longer fit into the small inside hall. They now overflowed into the outside patio where a burlap canopy had been strung up for shade and shelter. It's interesting to note that in spite of the fact that these services were held in agriculture zone where there is abundant rain, it never rained on those gathered to hear the word of the Lord, even though it may have rained before or after the services. It never rained during the hours of the services. Before long, there were around 500 people overflowing out into the streets and the fields surrounding the little house. People came walking and on horseback. They came in cars and trucks and taxis and buggies and jalopies and buckboards and wagons. One family even came in a, in a cub plane, which landed in the nearby grain field. Because of the outstanding healings and miracles, people began to come by busloads from other towns as well. Soon the crowds numbered over 1,500, attested to by the records kept of the prayer cards that were issued. Although almost everyone came seeking healing, God's desire was to bring them into a full salvation. Man would have chosen the limited walled-in space of a hall in town. God chose the limitless, unwalled spaces of his great outdoors. After the third Saturday service, the pastor was called to the hospital to pray for a young lad who was unconscious due to a severe fall from a horse. All medical efforts to awaken him had been in vain, so after 21 days of treatment, the doctor suggested an emergency trip to Buenos Aires by ambulance for delicate brain surgery. When the parents heard that God was healing others in the little hamlet, they called the pastor to the hospital to pray. When his parents anxiously asked, do you really believe that God will heal our boy? Pastor Leo quickly answered, I certainly do. He then prayed, and when he returned the following Saturday, he found the boy conscious but still paralyzed and blind, so he prayed for him again. By the next weekend, the boy's eyesight was returning, and he was watching as people moved about the room. Again, prayer was made to God for his complete deliverance, and by the next Saturday, the boy was showing disgust and displeasure at not being able to talk yet. The doctor told them that the expression of emotions was a sign that his mind was being restored. Although his body was still immobilized, the child was allowed to return home. When prayer was again made the following Saturday, he was able to use his hands to feed himself. Later, he stood up and began to take a few steps, learning to walk all over again. Each time the boy showed improvement, his doctor said, Yes, he's well up to this point, but his progress won't continue on any further. But in spite of his conclusions, God went right on healing the lad. The only thing left for God to do is return his speech, commented his family. 
When the pastor returned to Liberia the next week, the boy's sister, wreathed in smiles, was waiting for him at the bus station. Jubilantly, she exclaimed, My brother can talk! It was true. Over a period of six weeks, God had completely healed the boy from a coma, paralysis, deafness, dumbness, and blindness. A complete restoration. His last accomplishment? The ability to whistle. When many people came daily to visit the boy's father and to ask about the healing, he answered, I don't understand it. All I know is that my son was hopelessly ill and the doctors could not help him. Every week the pastor came and prayed, and every week my boy improved. Now he's completely well. Because of this boy's testimony, many came to the once-a-week campaign. A cattleman who suffered with a withered, atrophied right arm for eight years requested prayer. He returned the next week completely well and testified that with the arm that had once been withered and useless, he had been digging holes for fences, driving his car, and roping cattle. During one service, an ardent opponent made a denunciation to the police. Interrupting the service, the law came charging in to arrest the minister and to take him to headquarters for questioning. Officers ruthlessly snatched biblical text and mottos from the walls and threw them to the floor. To the officer's question, just what have you been doing? The minister simply stated that he was preaching the gospel and praying for the sick. Just as the Catholic priest administers the emblems for the sick and dying that they might recover, so do I pray for the sick and dying, that they might recover. When asked if anyone in town had been helped by his prayers, he commented politely, Ask them. With that, he was promptly released, for the entire town was aware of the mighty works which had been done as a result of the meetings. To conclude the matter, the police promised not to interrupt the church service again, and apologized for tearing down the texts. One Saturday afternoon, a crippled woman who could only walk with the aid of crutches was instantly healed. After the service, she proudly walked the several miles back to town, carrying her crutches over her shoulder, followed by a jubilant crowd which formed a parade around her. Naively, people would ask, Even if I don't need healing, may I come to hear the word of God anyway? It was just what the pastor wanted and what the Lord intended. Those who had attended the first campaign in the theater several years before commented, What a shame we didn't continue on then. How much further along we would be now. Spiritists withdrew from their churches in large numbers. The Catholics found it difficult to gather enough people for a Sunday Mass. The local priest even made discreet overtures to visit the Protestant pastor, to see what it was that gave him so much power. The once-a-week, every-Saturday evangelistic campaign continued in this hamlet for many months. In May of 1958, the congregation purchased a lot near the main highway in Liberia and began to build their own church. In five months, it was completed. They had financed the 33-by-66-foot building all by themselves without any outside help, funds to build the parsonage and church, 
support the national pastor and his family, and also to help fledgling evangelicals were all provided by the new Liberian believers. They even sent groceries at different times to the Infant Bible Institute at Mar del Plata. New congregations formed in San, San Manuel and other nearby towns as a direct result of the meetings. Later, these new congregations also built their own churches and parsonages. In Liberia, God tore down a powerful spirit of stronghold stone by stone. And despite our former fears, we discovered with relief that the work the Lord had done in the theater had not been in vain. He proved himself well able to keep those who had been committed to his care. No one could snatch them out of his hand. The eternal God, who is building his sanctuary of the living stones, gathered out of all nations, tribes, and peoples, desired to cut some stones from the quarry in Liberia, defeating demonism. Oh, we're being told we have only 30 seconds until the end of this broadcast. Uh, we did not get the five-minute warning that we need. So we're going to stop there, but we're going to come back tomorrow and continue this story. So God bless you, my brother, my sister. Let's pray. Lord, I just lift up these precious ones who are listening. And I ask, Lord, that they would come and stand with us and pray for us and with us that the God of Elijah would come and break through in this city of Washington and bring revival now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. With me, Alexandra. Visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.